0: Zechariah, prophecy of Zechariah we are going to read chapter 3 and 4, they are quite short chapters, Zechariah chapter 3 from verse 1, and he showed me Joshua the high priest Standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to be his adversary. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Yea, the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take the filthy garments from off him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with rich apparel. And I said, Let them set a clean mitre upon his head. So they set a clean mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee a place of access among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men that are assigned. For behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, upon one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of Hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of Hosts, shall ye invite every man his neighbour under the vine and under the fig tree. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out out of his sleep. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have seen, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with its bowl upon the top of it, and its seven lamps thereon. There are seven pipes to each of the lamps which are upon the top thereon, and two olive trees, by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereon. And I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these are? And I said, No, my lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the top stone with shoutings of grace, grace unto it. Moreover the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, his hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For these seven shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the lampstand and upon the left side thereof? And I answered the second time and said unto him, What are these two olive branches which are beside the two golden spouts that empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these are? And I said, No, my lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now, shall we sing? Well, now, this evening um, we come really to a summing up of some of the things we've been seeking to say in connection with this matter of overcoming and what we have looked at in the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not going to go over anything that we've said in the past weeks to start with this evening, because really, in many ways, this is a summing up. And the best summary um, of what we have been studying is found in this chapter of Zechariah, chapter four of Zechariah. This uh, chapter, all to do with this lampstand of gold and these two olive trees that feed it. With oil. Um, if we look in our Bible, we find that this lampstand, uh, which represents, symbolizes the testimony of Jesus, is found, first of all, in connection with the tabernacle and secondly its second uh, appearance in the bible is in connection with the temple and then its third appearance is in connection with the rebuilding and recovery of the temple and then its last appearance is in the book of revelation now that is the only times that Uh, In fact, this golden lampstand appears in the Bible and I think that that is very significant. In, of course, Exodus we have something of the constitution, the material, the shape, the form, and the purpose of that lampstand.
1: In Revelation
0: we discover that it is somehow or other connected with the churches, this testimony of Jesus is linked in a vital way with the Churches. The Church as it is expressed in time and in place. Now it is in this Zechariah chapter 4 that in fact we find perhaps the clearest teaching uh, in the Bible concerning this um, matter. Now one or two points, first of all these, there are two visions right at the heart of a number of visions. We have them from Zechariah chapter 1 right through to Zechariah and chapter 6. We have a number of visions, I think about nine in all if I am right, uh, nine visions. And the fourth and the fifth vision, the fourth vision is this vision of the high priest in filthy garments and the fifth vision is the vision of the golden lampstand and the two Uh, olive trees. Now the whole of these visions are to do with the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple or the house of God. In other words we could say that this is for that point of time this was the purpose of God and God gave the Prophet Zechariah a number of visions. They begin with the uh, avowed purpose of God to return to Jerusalem and to cause it to be inhabited again. And they end with the most glorious coronation of the Messiah. (laughs) And right in the very heart, the two central visions are to do with the house of God. The first one to do with well, we could put it is the Godward aspect of the believer, and the second is the manward aspect of the believer. Now, in in this chapter um, uh, three, you have the Godward aspect. In other words, we find what God sees, and um, we find Joshua in the presence of God, and. Uh, the prophet Zechariah immediately sees something which Joshua evidently was unaware of, and the others were unaware of. He was absolutely filthy. He was absolutely filthy. And beside Joshua was his prosecutor. Not the Holy Spirit, no, but Satan himself. Because this whole vision is set in terms of a of an old testament court you've got the judge who is the angel of the lord you've got the accused joshua and you have the prosecutor satan the accuser if you like and satan accuses joshua and he i am quite sure that satan raises a whole number of quite legitimate things about Joshua it is perfectly clear that his garments are filthy it's not uh, it's not just um, um, skin deep dirt it's it's something that's real it's something that's genuine and Satan puts his finger on it immediately in the presence of God and says as you see here uh, Satan standing at his right hand to be his adversary in other words he was uh, he was accusing him. Now, that's exactly what happens when you and I appear before God. If it wasn't for the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for the grace of God, not one single one of us could stand before the Lord. Not the best of us could stand before the Lord. For the devil knows us inside out, unfortunately. And he doesn't just spend his time telling lies to God because God knows they're lies and so does Satan. He spends his time telling truths. because the devil believes that's the only way to somehow um, uh, influence God. And what is God's answer to this situation? God's answer is grace. In other words, here it is. He says, Take the filthy garments from off him. Behold, I have caused thine iniquity, To pass from thee, to pass from thee. Of course, we know where it passed from and to. It passed from Joshua to the Messiah. It passed from Joshua to the Lamb of God. And therefore, the Lord said, I've caused thine iniquity. Now, iniquity is the strongest word for sin or transgression in the whole Bible. Sin is a terrible thing. But iniquity is abomination. I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. Now, God's answer then to Satan's accusation was grace and is grace. Now, when you come to chapter 5, you have the manward aspect. That is now it 's not a question of us appearing before God, but God expressing himself through us to the world. Now get that some people seem to think that the only reason God has saved us is just so that we could sit down and enjoy ourselves. This is nonsense, and that 's what we found out in our studies in Mark <coughs> that God has a heart for service, and in this in this Next vision, we suddenly discover that God, having by grace acquitted us and justified us and clothed us in the garments of his righteousness, then wants to shine through us. He wants to use us. So the second vision is all to do with the manward aspect. That is, the Lord seeking to shine out through us to the world. That's why it's all to do with a lampstand. Giving light to the nations. Giving light to those who sit in darkness, giving light in a dark place. But the problem is as great as ever. Mountainous difficulties, mountainous ranges of obstacles, of difficulties, of every kind of frustrating hindrance that it is possible to imagine. What are we to do then? First of all, Satan accuses us of sin and iniquity and tries to drive a wedge between us and God. But God says, no, my grace, my grace, my grace is the answer to this. I've justified them, they're mine. Now it is mountainous ranges, a mountainous range of problem, of difficulty, something complex, something intricate. Now what's going to be the answer? The answer is not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So the first answer is grace, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the second answer is the promised Holy Spirit. Now let's just have a look, a closer look at this chapter 4. Of Zachariah, which I hope you've all read, as we asked you to, on um, Sunday. First of all, just look at the contents, will you? It begins with someone being awakened, as a man is awakened out of sleep. That is quite a common sight here. What seest thou? Is the query of the angel of the Lord. What seest thou? Now, immediately, we see a whole series of things. The first thing we see is a lampstand all of gold. The second thing we see is a golden bowl. Now, this is quite different to anything that's gone before. We've never before in the the tabernacle or the temple seen this. A golden bowl with seven golden pipes that come from it to the seven lamps on the lampstand. They connect the third thing to the first thing. The third thing two olive trees, one on the right-hand side, one on the left-hand side of the lampstand. So three things. First of all, a lampstand all of gold. Secondly, this bowl, this reservoir of oil, which takes the oil from the trees and to the lamps. And then thirdly, the two olive trees. And then, next, fourthly, two olive branches. So we start with the lampstand and we end with two specific branches of these olive trees. Now, isn't that an extraordinary vision? We begin with a, a great lampstand, all of gold, And we end with two little branches of these two great olive trees. What is the explanation?
1: (laughs) Now, there are
0: some quite extraordinary things about this. For instance, we read in uh, verse 12, Um... What are these two olive branches which are beside the two golden spouts that empty the golden oil out of themselves? Now, in the Hebrew, there is no word for oil. So, most of our translations have added the word oil in italics. Golden oil in italics. In actual fact, it reads like this, literally, that empty the gold out of themselves. Now, this is even more extraordinary. They empty gold out of themselves, these branches. So these olive trees are putting gold into the lamp, which in turn becomes the fuel for the light. All of which is quite extraordinary and has so much bearing upon this matter of overcoming in the book of Revelation. Now, what is the explanation? Well, thank the Lord, we are given the explanation in this very chapter. We are not left to try and uh, think out our own explanation. We have it here. Now, Zechariah, like all the prophets, was intensely human. It seems to me that the more human a prophet is, the more the Lord uses him. This is a quite extraordinary fact, but it seems to be so. And Zechariah was an intensely human human person just like you and i you see like all of us he got his eyes fixed on the two branches why because he was self-centered like you and me he wasn't so much interested in the golden lampstand he didn't say to the lord what is this he said what are these he somehow felt that those two specific branches of empty and gold had something to do with him Or something to do with us. You see what I mean? So he said, what are these, my lord? (laughs) And the um, angel doesn't answer him directly. He talks about a whole number of things. And then, Zachariah comes back and says, but what about the two olive trees, my lord? there's no answer. So then he says, all right then, what about the two olive branches that empty the gold out of themselves? I can't be more specific. And then the angel says, don't you know what those are? (laughs) As if he didn't know that Zechariah didn't know. He said, those two are the anointed ones. Now, literally again in Hebrew, that is sons of oil. I think in your authorized version margin, you have that. Sons of oil or anointed one. But it's a very descriptive term in uh, Hebrew. Sons of oil. Well, now, isn't that just like you and I? What is the meaning of all this? What is the objective of overcoming? What is it all about? Why, you see, all of us, we go straight to the branches. And the Lord says, no, no, no. No, you mustn't get to the branches. As if it's all just personal. As if it's all just to do with you. No, no, no. You must first see what this lampstand is about. What it stands for. Then, when you've seen that, you can start to look at the olive tree. Otherwise, you'll just pile experience on experience, and you'll be lost in the confusion of experiences and uh, so on, without clearly seeing what God's objective is. Now, God is a great one for getting us clear as to our objectives, especially in the work of the Lord. He likes to get us to see, afar off, to see what is the goal that he's driving at, and this is what he did with the prophet Zechariah. Well, now let's have a look at the explanation. First of all, it is clear that it is to do with building and the the building and the completion of the house of God. It is quite clear. In fact, it's abundantly clear. For instance, verse 7. He shall bring forth the top stone. So it's something to do with building. The top stone is the uh, often very beautifully engraved stone that went in at the apex of the building. It was sort of, everything was, as you know, in the old days they didn't build in a better building buildings or with any cement or bonding like that. That everything was, as it were, perfectly fitted, and it was um, a question of the reputation and honour of the architect and builder that the top stone could go in without there having to be any filling in. It just slid in perfectly. If that could happen, the reputation and the uh, honour of the builder was greatly enhanced because it meant that everything had been absolutely true in the building. It's all been built according to pan. It was absolutely true, so that that final stone could be shaped, bought, and fitted in. Now, also look again. There's the top stone, verse 7, verse 9. The hands of the Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. So it's quite clear it's something to do with building and completion. And then again, verse 10. For these seven shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. The plummet line. That's the line with a weight on the end that the old builders used to use to, be, uh, to make absolutely sure that everything was straight and true. All right? So it is quite clear that this lampstand is somehow or other connected with the building and the completion of the house of god now we surely this has a lot to say to us whatever we may feel about this matter the fact is that a tremendous amount of the new testament is all to do with the building up of the believers no matter where you turn for instance you turn to ephesians and chapter 2 and uh, Verse 19 to 22. So then, ye are no more strangers and sojourners, but ye are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom each several building, fitly framed together, groweth. Now mark that you are built you have been built but the temple groweth it's a process into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together or are being built together for a habitation of god in the spirit now the very very term building involves and implies a process otherwise you have Jerry building, or prefabricated building. God is not the master of prefabricated building. He is the God of careful, progressive building. In other words, this lampstand represents, in this age now, a building work of God. Now we are told that there is a city whose builder and maker, or architect, is God. He is both the architect and the builder. Then again, if you turn to 1 uh, Peter, chapter 2, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 3, to 5. If ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, unto whom coming a living stone, rejected indeed of men, but with God, the elect, precious, ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now that Ye come to this living stone, unto whom coming a living stone, ye also, as living stones, are built up. Now, it is very interesting that um, in some of the modern versions, for instance, the new, not the revised standard version, but the new American standard version, which is so accurate, uh, has put this. Let your, allow yourselves to be built up. And the New English Bible has put it like this, let yourselves be built up into a holy house. The whole thing is a process. You can stop it. You can stop it. The whole thing is a process. You've got to cooperate with the builder. You've got to cooperate with the Lord in this whole matter. Now... There are other terms, not to do with building of a house, but other terms that are much to do with this matter, too. Again, if you turn back, and we can only turn to these very well-known ones, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. "...from whom all the body fitly framed and knit together through that which every joint supplies, according to the working in due measure of each several part maketh the increase of the body unto the building up of itself in love." Now, how anyone can tell me that that's all past and finished, I don't know. It seems quite impossible as I see it. I mean, listen to this. It says, Through that which every joint supplieth. So if every joint isn't supplying something, there's a hold-up, there's a paralysis. According to the working in due measure of each several part, maketh the increase of the body unto the building up of itself in love. There is obviously a process. Now surely you've got the same thing if we have a right exegesis in this same chapter 4 from verse 12 and in verse 12 and 13. For the perfecting of the saints unto the work of ministry, unto the building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain unto the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a full grown man. That's a process. It's not done. It's happening unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Then again, if you turn over to Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, and we read again, And not holding fast the head, from whom all the body being supplied and knit together through the joints and bands, increaseth with the increase of God. So it is quite inescapable. This vision of this lampstand is connected with the building and completion of the house of God. There is a tremendous work going on. Now, that was absolutely true of Zerubbabel's day, of Zechariah's day. What had happened? What had happened was this, that they found that uh, that a remnant had returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. That they had started, as it were, to build out of the rubble their own home. That after much battle they had laid, cleared the foundation of the altar and set up the altar, and then after much greater battle, a bit later they they cleared the foundation of the house and got it ready for building, and then for for a whole number of years nothing happened until the spirit of God came upon Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, and they stirred up the people to build the house of the Lord. Now that's exactly what happened. Haggai ministered at one point and Zechariah, his colleague and co-worker, ministered at others. They wove together. Their ministries were, were, as it were, two parts of one whole. It was a twofold ministry. And so this wonderful vision of the lampstand was for the people, historically speaking, was for the people at that point. The house of God, the foundation was there. The people had returned. God had brought them back. The altar was set up. The foundation was cleared. The hands had laid the foundation. But now all kinds of difficulties had come in. The people had got somehow or other cast down, depressed, despondent, and the work had stopped. And the Lord, in his great grace, first showed that the question of sin and iniquity and failing had been cleansed away by the blood of the Lamb. No problem there. And the second thing he showed them was a lampstand all of gold. In other words, this house, this rebuilding of this house, this building up of this house, this, the completion of this house is somehow or other all connected with the purpose of God. What was that purpose? That Israel should be a, a lamp of burnished gold radiating light out to the ends of the earth. Now that's precisely the same for us That's why we have lampstands, seven golden lampstands in the book of Revelation. If God can only get people to see what he's seeking to do, to build them together, what he wants to do is to make every true church a a lampstand of gold burning, radiating out the light of God in that area. And it's all a matter of building. If the devil can only stop the building... If he can only get us to be despondent, cast down, depressed, unbelieving, why we haven't got to go far, either take a good look at yourself and you'll be despondent, or take a good look at the others. It won't be long before you're quite despondent, quite cast down. That's surely why the Lord in this first vision in chapter 3, took the high priest, who of all people ought to have been perfect, and showed him in filthy garments. Well, now, there are some other scriptures I'd like you to look at too, just, I think, to um, emphasize this point, in Revelation chapter 10, verse 7. Now here is an extraordinary little phrase, which I, I fear many people overlook. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then is finished the mystery of God. Then is finished the mystery of God, according to the good tidings, or that's the word for gospel, according to the gospel which he declared to his servants, the prophets. Now, what is this mystery of God? It is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're told expressly in Ephesians, that it is the body that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews in this matter of being in Christ. Same body, fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow fellows together. And then again, look at chapter 19 and verse. Six and, seven. and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunder, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigneth. let us rejoice in the exceeding glad, and let us give the glory unto Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and the bride hath made herself ready. Now, if anyone wants to tell me that this thing is a fait accompli, that it's finished, what does it mean? The bride hath made herself ready. The mystery of God is finished. This lampstand in this age, in this part of the age, stands for a building program of God the Holy Spirit. It stands, if you like, for a tremendous battle to get that work completed, to finish the mystery of God to stir the bride up, to make herself ready for the Lamb. Just as it was in the Zerubbabel's day. So it is with us. Then again, let me say this, I think it is to do with the realization and completion of God's purpose concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus. For instance, turn back to Zechariah. Look at verse 7. And the top stone shall be brought forth with shouts of grace, grace, unto it. Now, who is the top stone? I used to think that the top stone was the last believer who would be saved. Whoever it was, whether it was in Indonesia, or whether it was in the Congo, or whether it was in Brazil, or whether it was in Scotland, or whether it was in London, wherever it was, the last person who believed in the economy and plan of God was the top stone. They would be fitted in, and then the whole thing would be finished. But I have come to see that the top stone is Christ that the whole building, he is the foundation, he's the chief cornerstone, the whole building is built up and the last part is left for the top, the top stone to come for and to be fitted into it. Now, I'm quite sure that I'm right in this matter because of chapter 3 and verse 8 and 9. Hear thou, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men that are assigned. Or, literally, they are sign men. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch, that is, the Messiah. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, upon one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Now, whom does it speak? It speaks of Christ. The stone is the stone with the seven eyes of God. Divine intelligence, divine knowledge, divine discernment. So this is the top stone. You've got it again when it says in verse 10, For these seven shall rejoice. That is, for these seven eyes shall rejoice. The top stone will go wild with joy when it sees the plummet line in the hand of the rubbable. When it sees that line from the apex of the roof going down, and it's all absolutely right, the top stone will say, well, I was going to say hallelujah, but that's not quite the word for the top stone to say. But you know what I mean? Say rejoice! Because it means that the top stone can come into position. The last stage of the building program of God is completed. So this lampstand, all of gold, which we have in the book of Revelation, is not just to do with the building program of God, but the realization and completion of that building program for the top stone to come forth out of heaven. That is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't we have it in another way when it says this, Zerubbabel, his hands laid the foundation? His hand shall also finish it. Well, there's so much we could say. Then, again, another thing that we have in the explanation is this. It's in verse 6. The Holy Spirit is to be in charge of this work. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, what is this in connection with? It's all in connection with a building program. Of course it's right for you to take it personally, and that's right for me to take it personally. But it's all in connection with an overall plan of God. How is it going to be achieved? How is it going to be realized? How is the work going to be done? Not by might, that is, not by armies or force, armed force, nor by power, that is, authority, autocratic authority, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, there is a need of an anointing, or let me put it another way. The work cannot be done. The obstacles cannot be removed. The top stone cannot be brought forth apart from the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit's work to tackle the obstacles not ours. Thank God for that. The trouble with us is we're always trying to get our hands onto the obstacles. Oh, and my! Some of us are good bulldozers, but we're no match for these obstacles. And some of us are those, um, sort of, uh, well, you know what I mean, the kind, we're all the time trying to get underneath the problem. And of course, is the devil lifts up the stone just a little and we go under it to try and shift it and then it comes down on us. We are finished. The problem's a bit too big for us. No, not by my... my Oh, but the times we quote this in prayer meetings, the times we quote it to one another and we don't really know what we're talking about because what we're really saying is, go on, go at it. That's what we're really saying when we say, not by might, nor by, by by my spirit. Go on, go at it. <laughs> Dive, take a header. And this mountain, this great mountain, it'll disappear. It doesn't say that. It says, not by might, not by your might, your force, nor by your authority, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, we need an anointing. It's an anointing that's needed. Every single one of us needs an anointing if this work is to be done. God has anointed, first of all, God has anointed Christ to do this work. He is God's anointed one. Christ and here's the one who's been anointed by God to do this work. Now, someone says, oh, dear, if he's the top stone and he's the foundation, how can he be anointed to do the work? Well, now, just wait. This is just where, so often, this kind of symbolism, we have to understand. Look at Zechariah, chapter 6. Zechariah, chapter 6, verse 12 and verse 13. Speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the Branch. By the way, this is the last vision in this series. It's the coronation of the Messiah. Behold the man whose name is the Branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord. It's emphasized. And he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. So it is perfectly clear that Christ, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, is the one anointed by God to do this work. To lay the foundation of this building program, to watch over every single stage of it, through history, and to bring it to its completion for his coming. Well, well. His hand laid the work. His hand will finish it. When did his hand lay the foundation? Why, just think of it. You remember when he came back from the dead with the blood of an an everlasting covenant? Do you remember when hell could not hold him for one single moment? and then he ascended on high and led captivity captive and sat down at the right hand of God, what he said of him is he said that he received the promise of the Father and poured forth this which ye see and hear. It was the day of Pentecost. That was the moment when his hand laid the foundation. Now, whose hand is going to complete it? What a mess we've all made when we try to remove the obstacles and when we try to complete the purpose of God. No, we cannot do that, and we must not do that. Now, one other point about this matter of anointing, and that is this. We are workers together with God, or co-builders. Builders, he is the master builder, the great builder, and we are builders with him. Now we come under that anointing. Woe betide any man or woman who thinks they can do anything in this matter of this building program of God without the anointing of God. That's what we all need. That's why in the book of Acts, every single person who in any way was brought into the work of God had to be filled with the Spirit. That was the one supreme and minimum quality that was looked for. They must be filled with the Spirit. There must be an anointing. Why are people so afraid of anointing? Because there is counterfeit? Because there is excess? Because there is mixture? Why should we be afraid of the gracious, blessed, powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit? Well, there's going to be no way of going through in the last days, apart from the Holy Spirit. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do His work, and we've got the, to, uh, to allow the Holy Spirit to work across into us, so that we become safer and safer and safer for God and for His work. Well, i just say that. It's, we'll come back to it in just a moment. Now, another thing that we find in the explanation about this lampstand is not only, first, it's a building programme, not only that it has something to do with the completion of the purpose of God in the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah, not only that uh, it is to be by the Spirit, the, Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is to be in charge of this work, but, fourthly, here we are, there are mountainous difficulties and obstacles in the way of this building work. Verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold... I'm sorry, I've got the wrong chapter. Chapter 4, verse 7. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. Who art thou, O great mountain. There are mountainous difficulties and obstacles in the way of this building work. Everything, visible and invisible, satanic or human, will combine to frustrate this work of God and to hinder its completion. Everything. Now, when I say visible and invisible, well, we all know that the devil's against it, but, oh, my, so often it's visible things that are also used. Everything. Small things, large things. Obvious things and not-so-obvious things. Obviously satanic things and apparently human. They all combine to stop this work. To hinder its completion. But, listen, before the anointing, and I use that word carefully, before the anointing, the mountain is flattened. Now, who amongst us could flatten a mountain? We are no match for these mountains, and well the devil knows it. And in the wisdom of God, well does God know it and allow it. Why? Because God wants to drain us of our own resources. So he allows mountains to come in the way of us and this building work being completed. He allows it in order that we might come to an end of ourselves and find that it's not by might or by power, not even theological might or power, not even anything that I may have gained to experience that I may myself feel I have. No, it's no match for it. Before the anointing alone, the mountain becomes a plain. Now, listen, isn't it lovely? Who art thou, O great mountain, before the Now, only the Lord could have said that. If he'd said, before my spirit, it shall become a plain. We would have all understood it in the flesh. But what grace? Before the rubble, the anointed servant of the Lord, Well, you can look upon him as Christ, the anointed Christ. Or you can look upon him as you and me, the anointed servant of the Lord. So weak in ourselves, so small in ourselves, but with the anointing of God. Because listen, dear believer, you may be the smallest, most insignificant person in the whole world. But if you're born of God, if you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, there's an anointing for you. And the anointing is upon the head, our Lord Jesus. You've got part of that anointing. You're in the body. You share that anointing. Maybe you haven't claimed the anointing. Maybe you don't know anything about the anointing out, uh, uh, in experience yet. But it's yours, given you, through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. All you've got to do is claim the anointing. It's yours. The Apostle Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit from the day that he was converted. Just a few hours after he was converted, And he went into the house of Ananias. He knew the anointing from the beginning. How wonderful it is to know the anointing from the beginning. How slow we all are in claiming our possessions and inheriting what is ours. Well, before the anointing, this uh, mountain is flattened. It's made a way for God. Now then, what shall we do when we see some of these problems, when we see all these complex difficulties, these things that are so frustrating, so, so somehow involved? What shall we do? Shall we hurl ourselves at them? Shall we get into a frenzy? Shall we have a prayer meeting and work ourselves up like the prophets of Baal till we're jumping up and down and cutting ourselves with knives, calling upon the name of God to do something or other? No, it can all be settled in a few moments, if in absolute unison. We move forward, by the anointing. It can be settled in a few moments. If we only knew what that meant, my, it would change a whole lot of things. And that's why, listen, and the top stone, same verse, and the top stone shall be brought forth with shouts of grace, grace unto it. I have often said this here, not glory, glory, as you would think, or hallelujah, no. The shroud is grace! Now, that shows what a deep work's been done in those builders. Those workmen, <laughs> they're all working on the house of God, all over the place. There are so many problems, so many difficulties. Why, they've been cast down. It's been up and down. There's been a conflict backwards and forwards. They hardly know where they are. And then, finally, they seize the rubble at the top there with a the plummet line, and down it goes! And it's absolutely spot on! Bottom, And then they get the top stone out and there it goes into place. And all those dear old workmen can say is they take their hats off their head and stand, Grace! Grace! Nothing else but the grace of God has done it! When you think of the history of the difficulties, when you think of the conflict, we can't do a war dance and say, Oh, we triumphed, we triumphed, we got on top of all the difficulties, we bulldozed them out of the way for the Lord. Not at all. All those workmen are almost as flattened as the mountain. (laughs) Spiritually, all they can gasp is grace. The grace of God has finally done it. Now, of course, we're sometimes accused of looking for some mighty great movement that's going to sweep over the whole world and gonna produce things all over the world, companies of believers getting together and so on, and something absolutely glorious. I'm not so sure. I think this work, as we shall see in just one moment, is not going to be like that. Apparently. And when the Lord comes and we see the building program is completed, the only word that we'll be able to say together is. There'll be no other word. Glory will come after it. Oh, we'll sing a hallelujah chorus a little later. But the first spontaneous reaction from all our hearts will be grace. Grace. The grace of God started this program. The grace of God kept it going. The grace of God has overcome the difficulties through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the grace of God has fidgeted the top stone in. Oh, isn't that wonderful? That high priest with his filthy garments. I can just imagine him there. What's he going to say? He's just going to say, Grace, who took away my filthy garments? The more I served the Lord, the more sin I seemed to accumulate. It was the Lord that did it. The closer I got to the Lord, the more dirty I felt. Why, at times, I almost wondered whether I had any part in this building programme. Grace. Grace to it. And then I want you to note two other things in this explanation. One is that everything in this building work must be true. Absolutely according to to pattern. You see, in chapter 4 and verse 10, These seven shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. Absolutely true. That is, every part of this building has to be true. If the foundation is out, the top stone can't go in perfectly. It's got to be all absolutely true. That's why the plummet line is there, and that's why the eyes, the seven eyes in the stone, the top stone, rejoice when they see the plummet. Careful building. God's not a jerry-builder. Careful. That's why we have all these problems. God's not going to let anything pass. A lot of so-called building and construction work in our circles is not building or construction at all. The Lord holds the plummet line up and so says, out with that. And that's why so often some of our lives uh, go along this line. About a wall goes up, the line goes up, and the Lord says, bring it down. It's like that with a lot of us. So all the time we're going up and then down and up and down. You know, we get a, a few more layers added on. We'll sit down with that. It's not true. Been thrown out. But the top stone's very glad for that line because you see, if we're going to, if we're going to say, well, now, 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 just let, let's get over that, let's get over that. Well, when it comes to the top stone, it can't come in. It's not correct. It's not right. So the 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 seven eyes. The divine intelligence and wisdom of the topstone of the Messiah. He rejoices when he sees the plummet line in use. Now, have you ever noticed in these visions of the city or these visions of the of the of the um, temple um, in Ezekiel and Revelation how always, somewhere or other, some gentleman bobs up with a measuring rod and is sort of spending his whole time measuring. I used to find that extraordinary when I was first there, I suppose because I'd never read the Bible at all in my childhood, and therefore, um, when I did read it, I used to find it extraordinary. What on earth was this gentleman? For instance, in Revelation 21, and um, verse... Uh, 15, he that spake with me had for a measure a golden reed to measure the city. Well, I couldn't understand what he wanted to measure the city for because he'd already been telling him the measurements. And anyway, God knew all the measurements, so why have we got a man running around measuring everything with a golden measuring rod? And there's the same in Ezekiel. we have got a man measuring everything. No, but everything. Not one single bit is left out. He 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 measures all kinds of little tiny outhouses and everything else. You you go out there, you find, and he measured, and then it gives all the measurements. Well, what is this man doing? Well, surely it's just a picture of a plummet line. Nothing's going to get into that city that hasn't passed the plummet line. Don't think that any impurity is going to get in. Anything compromised, any mixture, none of it at all. It's all ruled out. Only the pure gold of Christ comes through into that building. Only what is absolutely of God goes through into the building. Thank God there is something of him in every one of us. Even if we're only just born of God, there's something of God. Thank God for that. There's something upon which divine pleasure rests. Well, I just mentioned this because it's exactly true again in Exodus, where you get in Exodus 25, verse 4 and verse 40. See that thou make it according to the pattern that was showed thee in the mount. Don't you alter it one moment, just because you're hammering out that lampstand, and suddenly you think, well, it would be a bit easier, wouldn't it, to cut it a little shorter? Couldn't we do without with with one less of those knops? You know, it's all a knob here and a knob there and. A knop and a bud and a knop and a flower. Couldn't we do with one less? No, you see, you make it according to the pattern that was shown you. Exactly. You may not understand why it's got to be like that. You do exactly as you're told. And then I would like to say also about this uh, explanation in Zechariah chapter 4. When this work of completion this building work, is in process, it will seem to be apparently a day of small things. That is, it can easily be despised. Now you see that here, listen, in verse 10 of chapter 4 of Zechariah. For who hath despised the day of small things? For these seven shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of the Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now what does this mean? It means that it is the easiest thing in the world to despise what God is doing. Oh, very, very easy. Because, you see, if only there was a great... Oh, a great sort of... Well, like the beginning, like the day of Pentecost. Great thundering noise and the rushing wind and all that. Oh, then we'd be able to say, oh, This isn't a day of small things. This is tremendous. No. God always brings in his dispensations with tremendous signs, tremendous outward show and ends it in what is apparently a day of small things. But the end is more precious to God than the beginning. For in the beginning, everyone is in it and they're all taken up with it. But at the end, the sifting out process has taken place. That's why the book of Malachi stands there in that day. Those that feared his name spake oft one to another. And the Lord hearkened and wrote their names and what they said in a book. It was so precious to him. Well, it's very easy to despise the day of small things. Haven't we got it in Nehemiah? I've always loved this little part portion here. I just read it to you. Nehemiah chapter 4. Verse 1 to 4. Listen to these verses. <coughs> you remember that Nehemiah was a tr- in a tremendous building program. And, oh my, he did have a battle. Now listen to this. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, that's the wall of Jerusalem, he was wroth, and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish, seeing they are burned? Now, Tobiah, dear man that he was, the Ammonite, was by him, and he said, even that which they are building, if a fox go up, he shall break down their stone wall. And then, Nehemiah says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. And turn back their reproach upon their own head and give them up for a spoil in a land of captivity. Now, you know, there's nothing like being despised. My, some of us, we will, don't we? Only got to have someone turn the scorn on, and we just simply wilt. You know they go, what do they think they're doing? Who do they think they are? Why, a fox? If a fox touched their bit of building, it would fall over flat. And so on and so forth. If you go through Nehemiah, you'll find the whole lot there. It's all there and it's, it, apart from anything else, it's a masterwork on psycho- of psychology. Just what the enemy's done all <laughs> down through the ages, whenever it's come to the building programme of God, just despise it. Just, <laughs> what have they got to show for it? What do they think they're doing? Not much there. It's a day of small things apparent. But the eyes of the Lord, that run to and fro throughout the whole earth, they rejoice. Because the Lord doesn't see what is apparent, but he sees behind it, to what is genuine. Listen, Zerubbabel's building of the house of God was an integral part of the purpose of God for that dispensation. The rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the house of God, was so that prophecies might be fulfilled. Suddenly the Lord himself shall appear in his temple. That came to pass. This was the temple. True that Herod greatly extended it later, but it was still the second temple. Well, there we are. Now, <clears throat> finally, what can we say? Well, it, that's the explanation of the golden lampstand. But we don't stop there. God puts that first and says, now that's all to do with this building program mm-hmm. and the completion of it. Now, we, when we come to um, uh, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 11 mm-hmm. to 14, we find that this building program is essentially linked with anointed ministry we have the two olive trees. Now, I think many of you know that trees in the Bible stand for men, always. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, who bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Um, We know that. And what do these two olive trees symbolise? Well, they symbolise spirit-filled. The oil in Scripture is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit, tree of men. So it it symbolizes these two olive trees, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered ministry. Now, I don't mean platform ministry, necessarily, but I mean the whole ministry of Christ, whether it's being a help, whether it's just being an intercessor, or whether it's being a great preacher, so seemingly. It's all part of the ministry of Christ. And these two olive trees stand for... Anointed ministry. Holy Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-empowered ministry. The two olive trees represent the kingly and priestly ministry. In fact, you've got all three ministries here. You have the kingly ministry, Zerubbabel, he represented that. The priestly ministry, Joshua, the high priest. And you had the prophetic ministry, Zachariah. All three. because our Lord Jesus perfectly sums it all up in himself. He is both prophet, priest, and king. But now, just wait. What do we mean by this? Now, this is... this. I'm quite sure the Lord's been trying to say to us something about this to us in the last week or two. You see, we all know about this lampstand. Whatever... Differences of opinion there may be when it comes to details. We all see that God is has got to do something. He's got there's a building program that's on hand, right? It's something to do with the finishing of this mystery of God, this preparation of the, bar, of the bride, building up of the body of Christ, however you like to put it. We see that. There are two ministries which are absolutely essential if that's to be done. The first is an executive ministry. That's the kingly ministry. Reigning. Authority, if you like. Kingly ministry. And the other is intercessory ministry. Now, isn't it interesting? Two weeks ago on Sunday morning, Bob spoke to us about kingly ministry. Kingship. The kingdom of God. Last Sunday morning, Michael spoke to us about intercession. Prayer ministry. Both in relation to the end. now if you turn to revelation chapter 1 and verse 6 we've got it right in the chapters that we talked about in the beginning of these studies he made us to be kings and priests unto god or made us to be a kingdom and priests unto god revelation chapter 5 verse chapter 5 verse 10 last part yes that made us them to be unto our god Kings and priests, and they shall reign on the earth. They shall reign on the earth, or they reign upon the earth. It's more correctly. Uh, Again, in chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection over these. The second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. You see, the whole thing is twofold, twofold all the time. Priests and reigning, priests and reigning. On the one side, the executive ministry. On the other side, intercessory ministry. On the one side, there is the ministry of, as it were, executing the will and purpose of God on earth. And the other side is the intercessory ministry of coming between God and man. What a lot we could say about that. One is to do with the name and the key. I have given to thee the keys of the kingdom. Think of that. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And what is it in connection with? Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I have given to thee the keys of the kingdom. Kinly ministry. But the other, of course, is this travailing ministry. How few of us know what real travail is, to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to bring to birth in us something that can only come out in travail. I was hoping that on Sunday morning, we would, Michael would just mention that one thing in Romans 8 about the Holy Spirit when he intercedes inside us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Somehow I've always connected that with that incense being offered. Something beyond us. We are so near to the Lord, we are so taken over by the Lord, that the Holy Spirit within us intercedes in a way that we don't even understand within us. There are longings in us, there are pains in us, there's anguish in us which we can't understand, but which we know is of God. It's the birth pangs of Travis. Well, that's intercessory ministry. Well, what is overcoming, then, in this context? What is overcoming? Overcoming is this. That you and I become sons of oil. That's why it ends with the branches. God wouldn't begin with the branches, like most of us would. We would say, You start with the branches and end with the golden lampstand. Or you'll make a mess. No. God says, No, no. We start with the golden lampstand and end with the branches. Get that clear first, and now listen. It's very much a question of you personally overcoming. Don't you think you can hide in, in the company? Don't you think you can en masse overcome? You can't. It's he that overcoming. That means the problems you're going through are under the hand of God. The discipline you're going through is under the hand of God. All those things that are happening to you are happening to you to bring you to the place where you become a son of oil, anointed. And what's happening? Gold is being emptied out of you. The gold of Christ, the very nature and character of Christ being formed in you, not for your own enjoyment, but that it may be emptied out and contributed. May the Lord help us in this tremendous matter. Light comes from that gold. Isn't that strange? But I always think of that phrase, the light of his life. They shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Well, may God help us in this big matter, which is really beyond us all, why we've talked a number of times about these things, and we can mentally acquire a knowledge of it all, but, oh, the experience of it, that's the thing that matters. Oh, to have more of the gold of Christ in us, that we can empty out. That's what the testimony of Jesus is all about. That's what these golden lamps are about. Something to be emptied out. May God help us. Shall we pray together? Now, Lord, we do pray together that thou wilt take over now where we leave off. And by thy Holy Spirit, Lord, somehow or other, bring us to a real understanding of what it means to be a son of oil, what it means to have this gold within us, which we can, as it were, empty out, Lord, into what thou art doing. O oh, Lord, wherever there is just mental knowledge, blow on it, we pray. And grant, we do ask, that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, so that for the first time we really see what this matter is all about. Lord, help us, we all want to be in that building program of Thine. We all want to go on with Thee and cooperate with Thee. And so together we commit one another into Thy loving and gracious hands. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.